October in Chicago brings a fall like that from the garden. The green grass of summer goes suddenly, releasing its essence to nudge the leaves from the trees and cover the ground with their corpses. As if in trade for the death of ordered city gardens, October gives the bramble long fingers to reach up and will the solitude that comes when the city is covered in snow. In a Chicago October nearly 100 years ago, the winds from the port brought a very different sort of chill. No one noticed the epidemic at first. There was, after all, a war going on. But by the time it reached the city, brought back by unknowing husbands and sons, the quick and undiscriminating deaths were hard to ignore. Onset of influenza was sudden, ravaging the body with aches and enfeebling the mind with delusions. The stricken would perish, still fighting to clear their throats of the frothy blood that flowed from their noses and mouths even after they died. The gray stone comprised a single dwelling when it was hers. One of the eclectic Logan Boulevard mansions built by immigrants like her father-in-law, who had the money to erect them, but not the connections to locate them on South Shore. It had the general shape of a Victorian, but the whimsical trimmings of a gypsy. Though Angelina had not known William long before they were married, she grew to love him in the same steady way that she came to accept the child soon growing inside her. And by the time little Frankie arrived, it was as if she had wanted him all along too. Their family was small for Italians. Just Angelina, William, the baby, her in-laws, three aunts, two cousins, and their staff living in the house. They were happy and grateful for their good fortune. The house brimmed with music, laughter, and food. Frankie was only six when he died, three days before his grief-stricken mother and a week and a half after his father. They had worn the gauze masks and halted all trips to the theater and the lodge, but not even the commissioner of health himself understood the virus, and in the end, only William Sr. and two of the servants survived. Angelina could not remember much of the early days. Holding hands, she and Frankie would wander the halls aimlessly, fading in and out of ferns, oriental rugs, and the fleur-de-lis of the parlor wallpaper. She watched her father-in-law leave the house in a casket, saw the construction crews dissect her home into apartments, and wondered about the many people who moved in and out over the years. William was there, too, at first, always urging them to follow him away. But Angelina was afraid, and he eventually left without them. He would reappear now and again, but his visits had become fewer over time. These days, Angelina and Frankie barely saw him at all. Occasionally, someone in the building would recognize them, catching a cold breeze from Angelina's passing skirts on the stairs or the brief touch of Frankie's small hand as they climbed into bed. Frankie had been more than one child's imaginary friend, but more often than not, they were nightmares, a shriek in the dark, shaking legs under the blankets. And so these days, they combined themselves restlessly to the garden apartment in her formerly lavish home's basement. There, they were guests of the building's caretaker, Jacob Witherby, a kind and placid man who took his duty to the building's tenants, alive or not, quite seriously. Unlike Angelina and her boy, Jacob had grown up in poverty, the lanky and tow-headed son of a meat processor, one of thousands of children who spent their youth in the oppressive din of the stockyards. 
As a child, he had seen pastoral scenes of baby pigs born in storybooks, but had always known what really happens to pink piglets when they are snatched from the tender touch of their mothers, packed with a screaming mass of other hogs into a train car smelling of corn and excrement, they would all be shipped away to be released into the open air of the yards thick with fear, blood, and dissected meat. From the low and frantically moving herd, the dirty faces of the men who bought and sold them rushed past, some holding their handkerchiefs over their mouths and noses, some barefaced and breathing in the smell of profits with the blood and shit. Here there would be no more gentle touches. One worker after another would make their butchers cut until only hams, racks, and side remained. Then they would once again be loaded onto trains to turn up on this dinner table or that restaurant menu where the handling might again become tender depending on the character of the kitchen destined to prepare them. The slaughterhouse was all Jacob had ever known and it was against the urging of his overbearing family that he left. But a gentle bookish man can stand that sort of noise for only so long and the day he mustered the courage to leave the yards was the happiest of his life. He had noticed Angelina and Frankie as soon as he moved in, peeking out from behind stacked boxes or crossing dimly lit doorways in front of him. Always they would fade away just as they came into focus. He heard their footsteps, saw lights flicker, and felt the thud of sashes thrown mysteriously open. And eventually Jacob realized that if he read aloud, which he did often anyway, they would sit still and listen to him. And so he read to them every night from the stacks of dog-eared paperbacks that lined the walls of his dimly lit apartment. Living with a pair of forlorn ghosts might trouble some people, but Jacob loved Angelina and Frankie. He looked forward to their evening engagements and enjoyed their secret company as he made his rounds about the building. Unlike his own family, who remained vivid in his memory as a loud pack of dirty hyenas, they listened, were calm, and never drunkenly challenged him to naked feats of strength. He admired the way Angelina handled her son, with none of the tugging and smacking characteristic of his own mother. He appreciated, above all, that they were quiet, and in a home purposely void of a television or a radio or indeed anything else to make intentional, unnecessary noise, their occasional bumps and sighs were comforting punctuation to the soothing hiss of the radiator and the settling creaks of the house around them. Jacob was a thankful man, and he had not minded much in the years since he left the stockyards. His tenants seemed to notice him no more than they did the two transparent figures that followed him from task to task. Apart from Mrs. Wensleydale, who had last week informed him that his barn door was letting his cows out when he was in her apartment to exterminate an exceptionally persistent colony of ants, he could not recall the last time one of them had even bothered to speak to him. It was true that the old wall-mounted intercom system rendering him easily accessible to his boss had been, for at least the past month, broken and now broadcast a steady transmission from Sylvester Porchinski's apartment into his own. But luckily, the sound of Sylvester's old radio and scratchy records played muted over the system. And with the volume down low, it was barely audible. In fact, not even Sylvester's constantly aggravated voice periodically screaming jackass over the speaker ordering him to plunge the orange's toilet or clear the garbage chute 
was anything at all compared to the screams he left in the yards. Recently, though, he suspected that there was something bothering Angelina, and that Jacob minded. It was not that their appearance had changed. She, charming in her Edwardian skirts, and Frankie, sweet with his bowl cut and white-footed pajamas, looked just as they always had. They still found him in the early evening for an hour of stories. He still felt them on his booted heels as he attended meticulously to a leak or a clog. But they had started to visit him in unsettling dreams. He would awake to find Frankie at the foot of his old metal bed, pointing to his mother crouched low behind Jacob's headboard, carrying on an anxious conversation with someone that he could not see, whispering and then again and again bringing her hand up to cover her mouth. Recently, when he read to them, they were currently halfway through his considerable collection of Agatha Christie, he had the distinct feeling that Angelina was distracted. And most distressing of all, Jacob swore he could sense a fourth presence in the apartment. The veil that separates this world from the next is thin enough to allow someone who looks to make out the gauzy shadows on the other side. But it is also wide enough that spirits who do not comprehend their own deaths may become trapped within it. While Angelina understood she and her son had perished, the desperation to keep him safe within the walls of her home had stuck with her in death. She felt powerless to leave the world in between the veil and the protective walls of the building. Jacob could not see William, but he realized that he was there. The new energy was decidedly male, and nervously straightening his smoky gray hair, he wondered if Angelina might have a suitor. He'd had the company of few women in his youth, and even fewer in age, and though his blue-collared shirts were modest and his pants worn, he was a handsome man and had always hoped Angelina thought him attractive. But he had just begun the first chapter of And Then There Were None one evening when interrupting what was a rousing account of the arrival of the disreputable Dr. Armstrong to an island just off the coast of Devon, Angelina rose and moved toward him. She lifted a lucent finger and pointed to a single word in the 22nd line of page 10, husband. Angelina looked at Jacob and put her hand over her left breast. His heart sank. William had indeed returned after what had seemed even to her to be a very long time, and she was excited and restless. Jacob knew all of this instantly, and he understood that she needed his help to go to him. They were his family, and he did not want them to leave. He had grown accustomed to their hushed company and thought of Angelina as a sort of extremely low-maintenance girlfriend. Judging from her youthful appearance, he assumed that the 30 years she had spent with him was much longer than she could have had with her husband. But he also knew that she and Frankie belonged in his basement apartment among the stacks of books and boxes of tools, no more than he had belonged in the back of the yards. And while he selfishly hoped that the plan would not work, he thought of the solution as quickly as if she had asked him to fix a broken sash or install a grab bar in her bathtub. Jacob closed the book and put it back in the stack by his chair. He motioned for Angelina and Frankie to follow him to the front room, where he sat them down in front of the intercom mounted head-high by his front door. Then, trusting fate implicitly, he turned the volume dial all the way up. They were immediately assaulted with a loud, gurgling snore, 
followed by several smaller snorts and whistles signifying that Sylvester had fallen asleep in his recliner. But in the background, they could just make out the sound of his radio, which was tuned, as it always was, to the paranormal talk radio station. Listen, he told them. And the three listened, and the deep, hypnotic voice of the host explained, Sometimes spirits become tangled in the space between our world and theirs. Their death may hold them here, or they may be held here by fears about the place that they must go next. But they must understand that it is all right to move on. And you, Jacob Witherby, must be unselfish and understand that it is all right to let them go. Jacob nodded to Angelina as she took Frankie's hand. And suddenly behind them, William appeared in the middle of a bright light and gestured for them to come. Jacob did not think William was especially handsome, but he was comforted by the blissful look that overtook him when he realized his wife and son were moving toward him. Angelina turned to look at Jacob. He said, It's all right to go. You will both be fine. They turned around and walked toward William, and the light grew brighter until Jacob could not see anything at all. In a flash, they were gone. The apartment seemed very, very still once they disappeared. The constant sound of the intercom stopped abruptly, and not even the radiator made a peep. The silence was a dreadfully lonely sound. And then Jacob heard Angelina's soft voice in his ear say, Listen, and the sash of the front window flew open. Outside, the air was as cool as Angelina's passing skirts, and the moon was as white as Frankie's skin. Jacob listened and heard the determined and lovely sound of footsteps hurrying down the front walk. <laughs>